Welcome to Direction Correct, a people's podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Alexis Fink. Thanks to our sponsors, Worklytics. Generate actionable insights from work data while protecting your privacy using workplace analytics with our partners, Worklytics. It's PSYOP. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like nerd Disneyland. Absolutely. I love this. And I will say, um, I have been, first of all, delighted at our post-pandemic experience. We had over 5,000 registrants, which is incredible. Yes. Um, it is. And certainly for us, those of us who are practitioners, yeah. um, this year, I was really delighted at the number of uh, sort of AI and data-centric, mm-hmm. uh, data science-centric presentations. Yeah. I was delighted to see some really good focus on ethics. Mm-hmm. We had attorneys showing up on panels, et cetera. I was really excited to see the balance tilting more towards practitioner and interesting practitioner Absolutely. problems. And I was tickled at the number of sessions that included non-IOs. Yes. Um, so there were a whole bunch of them that had like a... Uh, Can I give you credit for that? For a second, <laughs> no, I'm not. I, could try. I, mean, I mean, you should. I feel like it. you have been pushing for that for years, and I it's have been. it's been it's finally manifesting itself in force. And thank you. Well, I, I think th- it makes it better. It, like I, I've had a much better conference because of it. I totally think it makes it better. I should give a shout out to Richard Rose now, who has been all over this thing. He's been like. What do you? It's it's not live tweet. It's not live tweeting. We do it on LinkedIn, but like I think every single session, he's been posting summaries Mm -hmm. and photos and how awesome they are. It's like our best marketing weapon. There's also a diversity of sessions as well. Like I went to probably the best session I've been to in a long time was this like uh, um, improv comedy around the personality. Oh, I didn't go to that one. It was so good. Yeah. It was so good. What did you learn? What was great? I didn't really learn much. <laughs> <laughs> but you loved From, it. I enjoyed it. Yes, okay. that's the point. I got that. We need more podcast sessions, <laughs> definitely. Well, shameless promotion. Maybe not the last session of the last day. So, yeah. why is that, Alexis? Why are we the last session of the last day? <laughs> um, it, that also might be my fault, because there's a real scheduling problem to make sure that people don't overlap, and mm-hmm. people don't overlap with other people, and the... the um, analytical problem of yeah. having a lot of people on sessions and a lot of people with other people on sessions and needing to make sure that they will all fit into the available time. Yeah. And I'm on three sessions this time. Yeah. This is the smallest one. The other ones had more people on them. So that could be my fault. Well, I'm thank sorry. you, I yeah, guess. We'll, we'll try right. to do better I'm sorry. Time. Well, these, these are just like the real psyopers, right? People <laughs> that right. the very end. That's right. We're here to the bitter end. <laughs> Plus, we don't technically start for 12 minutes, so... That's that the beauty true. of directionally correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what people don't realize is it always starts way before it starts. That's awesome. Every episode. I'll tell you one other thing I went to this time that really filled me with joy. There was a really, really good Ignite session after the fire drill yesterday. A really, <laughs> Sorry really about good, that, by the uh, way. Was that your was fault? That you? <laughs> A really, really great Ignite session on qualitative work. And I have been a huge fan of qualitative work. Really, my whole career, I really started in OD, which is super qualitative. Um, But just the power of that. And there's so little qual work at PSYOP represented. Mm -hmm. There's so few graduate programs that train you in qual work. And when I've had great qual work on my teams, a lot of times it's like because an anthropologist or social psychologist joined. And it's such a powerful... Um, it's such a powerful tool and particularly as more and more of the kind of quantitative things that we work on are getting automated as ChatGPT can write our first drafts like there is 
there's additional incremental unique benefit it's coming from deep rich. Yeah, it yeah. totally is. Coming from really deep rich qual work. And so I was tickled to see a very good high quality um, session on basically the beauty of qualitative work as part of IO. That's really interesting perspective. Like if we go more like machine learning, AI, this sort of thing, you really lose the human element where totally do. Is that where like IO is going to progress in the future? So um, yes, and I think a lot of it is really interesting in terms of uh, those things that make a specific individual company or segment within a company unique. So if you've acquired a new company, if you're looking at intersectionality, if you're trying to figure out mm -hmm. what makes a manager terrific, you're probably not actually going to find that in your employee survey results. You're not going to find it in how long they've been a manager. You're going to find it in behaviors that are probably not actually being quantified because it's the content of your one-to-one -one with that person rather than how frequently you have it in all likelihood because a one-to-one -one can also be abusive. Um, so the, the opportunity to like layer in good qual work about what do extraordinarily good managers do? Because we know they're important. Mm -hmm. How do I find them? How do I grow them? How do I nurture and reward and retain them? Is there a possibility that with all the advances in generative AI that are going to come, that qual comes out the other side even stronger? I hope so. Not automated. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's so much of it that's meaning making and um, I'm not an expert in like Roberta or any of these, but the colleagues that I get to play with who are experts, even then, it's 80-90% good, so it's a great, it's like the best graduate student of all time in terms of helping you code, um, but there's still... Was this Roberta? Bert or Roberta or some of the other um, NLP oh, meaning oh, making, yeah, not a person, not a human. Um, so <laughs> who's this friend? Super nerd. Yeah, power, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, there is still a lot of the meaning is at the edges. Yeah. And the nuance at the edges. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I've been a super fan of NLP. I should go back and look, but I think I've been doing like NLP psyop sessions for over a decade. Right. Really. Wow. Yeah, because I definitely did one with Bill Macy before I joined Intel, and I oh, wow. I left. I left Microsoft 12 or 13 years ago, so it's definitely that long ago in the past. Yeah. I can only imagine what those first sessions look like compared to now. You oh, know. It's, honestly, it's thrilling. Because yes. before it was a lot of like counting keywords, right? Yeah. Just yeah. like really desiccated and the, the richness of meaning we can get now. But we all know that NLP doesn't handle sarcasm very well and it doesn't have, handle. Um, Not good people, honestly. Yeah, that. Um, but like it doesn't. It doesn't do very well with people who have English as a second language and, okay. and use verb tenses mm -hmm. in perhaps a non-standard way or sentence structure in perhaps a non-standard way. And they're getting better, but um, there's also an awful lot of cultural meaning and nuance. And again, like what made that great manager different? Would I type something out mm -hmm. that Roberta could understand, or is there going to be something in what my eyebrows do when you and I are having this conversation? It's like, oh, hey, wait. Let's talk about that for a second, um, that you can get in deep qual work. We'll edit that part out, you know, the oh, eyebrow part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to help me out here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, how about, so I thought the weirdest thing that was going to happen this week was I accidentally, not once, but twice, walked into the TechCrunch conference that was going on downstairs, or just not paying attention. I was like, wow, this is going to be the weirdest non-PSYOP conference thing that's going to happen to me this week until this morning. Oh, what happened? Oh, with the, the superhero thing? <laughs> well, Comic-Con. Comic-Con's going on. I was like, who are all these crazy people outside? I learned this because I was in line at the bathroom and someone from Comic-Con came in and I was like, oh, you're not an I.O. It's a dragon, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. 
I won't out someone for bathroom behavior, but yeah. it was it was definitely <laughs> it was definitely not coming from the nerd crowd. All my good and bad fantasies came true this morning. It's <laughs> too much information, Cole. Just like stop and edit that yeah. one. I, I showed Cole, I, I, I cornered two Spider-Men that were sitting out there, and I was like, you two got to point at each other, I need a photo of this, like that mean? <laughs> I have it, maybe we'll, we'll put it in the it show It is amazing, notes. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll link to it for sure. And I like the fact that it's Spider-Men and not Spider-Mans. Oh. Is it? I'm not sure. What is the proper plural tense? I think tense? it would be Spider-Mans. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man. it's Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or is it like Attorneys General? Well, that, that's the thing, right? <laughs> What is it? Spider's man. Yeah. Spider's man. It could be that. Answering the important questions. Yeah. We're tackling the hard issues <laughs> here on Directionally Correct. Well, as people are kind of walking in, why don't we, I mean, I'm sure everybody that's here knows who you are, Alexis, but do you mind if I introduce you really quickly? Sure. So Alexis Fink is the VP of People Analytics and Workforce Strategy at Meta. She's the incoming SIOP president, which and SIOP fellow, previously served in roles at Intel, Microsoft, amongst others, and a PhD in psychology from Old Dominion. Yes. Anything you'd like to say about yourself, Alexis, that I missed? Because I know that's really short. <laughs> and you are a very distinguished person, <laughs> and frankly, very intimidating, so I'm glad to be sitting next to you. <clears throat> oh, well, now I'm all, like, blushy. Um, let's see. I am also a parent of three and a grandparent at this point, which is freaking no. me out. Well no. done. Thank you. I have a one-year-old grandson. Freaking me out. He's oh not gosh. talking yet, so I'm not, I don't have a grandma name yet, which is really my only saving grace. What's it going to be? I don't Do you know? know? I think, Do you get I think, to choose or you get to choose? choose? I think yeah. the first grandchild gets naming rights. Yeah, like, yeah, whatever he, <laughs> However he wraps himself around that, I okay. think that's what I'm stuck with for all future children. Um, uh, it, it, we mentioned a little bit, like I started my career at OD. I honestly think that that's part of like, what's good about my job. I, I um, was sort of lost in the woods for several years when I finished graduate school. I did a bunch of OD, I did a bunch of stuff like in operations and operations management, like in factories, yeah. and, and worked directly with leadership on making business decisions. And so when I kind of came back into the fold of IO, I had not only a bunch of like change management and culture tools, but also um, a real fluency with how business leaders make decisions, because I had been with them in the trenches for several years. And I really reflect frequently on how that little side wandering through the wilderness has played out very, very well as I've come back to Core IO. Well, would you say that people analytics and OD are two sides to the same coin? Did you read my book chapter about that? <laughs> I think I've like, cited the title. I've cited it like 17 <laughs> times in articles I've written, so I'm a big fan, obviously. Well, if you look at um, a million years ago when it when um, like Six Sigma black belt training mm -hmm. was cool, I went through that, and it was fascinating to me that uh, if you look at like a, a Six Sigma sort of a, a string of steps, and then you look at like OD steps, and then you look at like research methods, they're kind of all the same. Some of yes. them break out a step or two from one another, but the beginning, middle, and end are all the same. And I think that we do ourselves a real disservice by pretending that they're different. Absolutely. So like, you've, you've had like a you know, circuitous route. Like, how did you get into IO? Yeah. Uh, so I am super lucky. Like a lot of people, it was mostly accidental. I was right. living, uh, my, my family lived, my parents lived in Singapore when I was a kid in college. And um, my family was very distressed that I was a psychology major, really convinced that I was going to end up tending bar. My dad would probably <laughs> be listening to this. I still like to be like, hey, this psych major turned out okay. Um, but Did it you ever tend bar? I did not ever tend bar, no. Uh, it's kind it of a could missed be a opportunity. Career, I mean, it yeah. could be. Like, it could really be a retirement hustle for me. Um, but it turned out <laughs> that... After AI takes over. I know. 
Um, we'll have little robot people like the movie. The Minions? Mm, different one, but okay. we'll leave it alone. Um, but on the third floor of my apartment building was this woman, my parents' apartment building, was this woman who um, had a master's degree in IELTS. And my father is desperately trying to make sure that I'm going to be employable as an adult. And so we had a January term in my college and sort of, you know, did some matchmaking, like, we'll go work with this person. She seems to be a psychology degree that seems to have a job. Why don't you do that? And I reflected last year that this was in January of 1992. And so I had my first I.O. psychology job in January of 1992. So I've been oh doing gosh. this for literally 30 years. Um, and I was like, I found it. This is it. It's psychology. It's work. It's, it seems important and interesting. And I was just hook, line, and sinker from get the word go. People. Right. Well, I get to like study people, but not actually have to talk to them. And sometimes that's <laughs> Back to the qualitative research. That's right. I can sit here with my spreadsheets and like be comforted. Absolutely. Well, when, when in your perspective, when did you, when did people analytics become a thing and when did you become a part of that in addition to IO psychology? So I usually peg the start of people analytics to the Thomas Davenport 2010 yeah. competing on people analytics, yep. right? Yep. Like, I'm clearly not making that up. He's, it, that really was a pivot point when other people found it to be interesting. Um, what's amusing uh, is I ran, I was in a team at Microsoft, which is a people analytics team going way, way back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I joined that team in 2005 and was a people research scientist. So it was clearly already people analytics that had a very similar charter. In fact, I loved the charter of that team. We were really the R&D shop for everything in HR. Oh, wow. Yeah. So whatever we were fussing with in HR, it kind of came through this people research team, which was a great way to touch lots and lots of things. And then we would get it basically to like a beta and then ship it out to whoever the, the long-term parent would be. And I thought that that was a nice, nice um, opportunity. Uh, so I index the, the term people analytics with the Davenport article. My professional, like, real people analytics job uh -huh. um, was in 2005, and then before that I was doing things where I was applying um, IO psychology principles, mm -hmm. just because it's like a reflex and you can't not do it, yeah. um, but not necessarily in a job that people would look at me and say, that's a PA job. Where, where, where is people analytics, where was the boundaries of that? Like, is it dashboards? Because we don't like dashboard research. Typically here, I, uh, so I'm a little more expansive, I think, than most. Um, the team that I have the privilege to run at Facebook now, I describe as occupying the full three-dimensional space of people analytics, okay. right? So think back to your 10th grade geometry. Um, you've got this x-axis that's the whole employee life cycle. And we go all the way to talent analytics, so what's happening in the market, who's got which skills. My team at Intel did that as well. So if you think about... Um, Toby Colshaw's new book, Talent Analytics, which yeah. talks about the labor market stuff. So we do all that kind of cool stuff. And then through all the recruiting and selection research, and those are two different things, right? Selection is the mm -hmm. decisions, recruiting is more about business process, and then all the onboarding, and the diversity, and the engagement, mm -hmm. and the movement, and sort of all the things that we would classically think of, plus going out to exit. And then think about your y-axis, and I think about that as um, levels of aggregation. Right? So sometimes you're thinking about very small groups. You might be thinking of like intersectionality mm -hmm. among you know, tech black women or something. Yeah. Uh, so from very, very small to very, very large, we're going all the way back out to whole labor markets, whole countries, et cetera. Uh, and then to 
if you really remember your 10th grade geometry, there's a z-axis that comes out the front. Oh yeah, it's the three dimensions. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I think about the z-axis Can I make as... a quick infomercial? Yes. Never make a 3D chart. They're in, uninterpretable for your audience. Unless you can animate it. Okay, yeah. Yes. If you can animate yes. them and rotate them, that can be cool, but yeah, they're uninterpretable. I've been trying to draw my three-dimensional model for like six years now, yeah. I can't do it. It's, I don't do, I don't, I'm not an artist, and also they don't translate well in flatness. <laughs> but that z-axis that comes out the front is the level of analytic complexity. And so I'm really delighted that on my team, we have everything from data governance, like defining what variables we'll use and where they rest and which ones inherit values from what systems through um, counting and like clever counting. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge amount of counting and clever counting in the universe, data visualization display all the way through. Uh, you know, your, we don't actually do Bayesian analysis, but it would be on the list if it was there. Uh, but all of your sort of frequentist kinds of analysis yeah, yeah, yeah. through predictive and then finally into prescriptive analysis. Here's what you should do. And so we get to play in that whole three-dimensional space and it's just, for me, those are kind of the bounds. Right? It's great to have like data governance under the hood because Super great. Like, that's becoming like a larger and larger issue. GPR, New yes. York, yep. California. Yep. I would argue it's probably nearly impossible to be a progressive people analytics function if you don't have it under you now. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. And the amount of time, there are like two secret weapons that this current PA team has and my last PA team at Intel, which is amazing, also have that I think people don't appreciate how much efficiency and power you get from them. One of them is data governance and just knowing like what you have, what you can trust, who inherits from where, which database you hit, like all of that um, control mechanism, if you will. And then the other is all the data engineering stuff, right? You, like, if you want to be successful, successful, go find yourself a data engineer. The amount of um, speed and efficiency and accuracy you can get um, through having really just like beautiful hygienic data they're at your fingertips. Oh my God, maybe yes. more than their weight in gold. Like I don't know what, like plutonium or something. Whatever is more valuable than gold, that's the DEs. It's like the good old days, like pass around like an Excel sheet. That, that's your database. <laughs> those days are still the days. For they, some those days Scott. are still the days. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like I want to disparage spreadsheets. I kind of live in <laughs> spreadsheets, right? And they're super useful if you're going to do something once. They're super useful yes. if you're back in the napkinning something. I do spreadsheets to calm down when I'm anxious. It's a little bit of like maybe more information than you needed, like recreational spreadsheeting. Um, recreational spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, I know you people don't know. <laughs> Please tell your children about recreational <laughs> spreadsheeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't want to disparage that. And Excel has amazing tools. There's a lot that you can do sort of really quickly that's useful, but if you can do something more than once, like don't do it in a spreadsheet, come on. I used to work with someone that loved doing like data cleaning in Excel, <gasps> and I was telling them like, if you ever make a mistake, we're never gonna be able never to recreate find this. It. Yeah. yeah, never be able to recreate this. You need to learn how to program some capacity. Something, yep. Absolutely. Do you mind if we come back to your career here for a second? How about it? And can I be like a little bit of a fanboy? Oh God. <laughs> so two, two things that I really admire about you and I, I, want, I want you to have the platform to talk about publicly. One is being a female leader at PSYOP and how you have come up and just really taken our field forward. And the second is the ability to be a practitioner who's also a PSYOP fellow and the incoming president of PSYOP which is not, you know, historically speaking, a very <laughs> round of applause from the audience. 
you're pulling our field forward, you know, one dead body at a time or something like that. So first of all, thank you. But can you talk about that at all, Alexis? Because I, I have a feeling there's quite a few people in the audience, not just in the room, but that are going to listen to this later that would love to learn from you about it. Oh, golly, that's a, that's a big question. That's like really hairy. Um, so let's do the female leader thing first. Um, I think some of it is, even like as a kid, I didn't really let people put me in the girl box, mm -hmm. right? So, and I was really, I have to give a shout out to my dad and to his dad who were just enormously supportive. My grandmother went back and got a master's degree when her youngest child hit kindergarten. And there are just not that many like women who were born in 1912 that did that. Mm -hmm. um, and God bless my grandpa was like, no, I'll, I'll step up and do the kids. Uh, you know, change jobs, became a high school teacher so that he'd have, right? So just really super, super fortunate to have that role modeling in my life. And then um, we got a computer in 1978. Eight, 77, 78, when I was like seven years oh, old. Oh, that's early. I know, right? Um, my like dad was a, Well, I mean, let's not <laughs> Like a mainframe. Yeah. It was a, um, those of you who are old, remember the Tandy Radio Shack 80? We had a color computer, it had 4K. <laughs> my dad was an engineer at Delco Electronics, and he and his buddies souped it up to 16K. It was yes. like one of the most powerful personal computers. Um, and I was like seven, and my dad made me learn how to code. And then I was fortunate to live in Asia, where as a freshman in high school, I got to take computer science and learn how to code. Oh, wow. And then I took it in college, and I took it in graduate school. And so from the time I was tiny, um, I was writing code, and I, there was sort of never a, you need to stay in the girl box. And my dad was working at this semiconductor manufacturing faculty factory and I remember him bringing me when I was like really little to like tour factories and oh, be like wow. you can do this stuff so it sort of never dawned on me that I was going to you know not do things yeah so I'm actually just really really fortunate in that way massive amount of exposure it sounds like Super everything lucky. yeah and and I sort of joke that um, I've kind of been in management training since I was like five so if I didn't get somewhere <laughs> like what a failure <laughs> Um, yeah. So that like that's just sheer dumb luck of where you happen to get dropped down on the planet, yeah. right? Um, and then the the other bit is um, I it took me a really long time to get less stubborn, and I've had I've been in a couple of jobs where like there was just no way to succeed. It was just you were in a hole. There was somebody who was not gonna like you, and there was just there was no succeeding at all. This was not the answer I was expecting. Thank Please you. say more about this. Um, and when I was young and arrogant and stubborn, um, I would just grind away at it because you're not going to win. And I later realized, and I was eh, close to 40 when I realized this, a bit of a slow learner, I think, um, that the calories it was going to take me to take an unwinnable situation and get it just to neutral were so poorly spent. And I could take those same calories and start in like more fruitful soil and really do something great with it. And so I really worked hard on getting over my shame of being a quitter and being like, if I have a finite number of calories, I don't want to try to, um, there's sort of this analogy of like bloom where you're planted. It's like, right, but if where you're planted is in the middle of a sidewalk, you're probably not going to bloom. Let me go find some nice, like composty soil. Yeah. I'm gonna stop fighting nature and trying to bloom on this stupid sidewalk in the middle of this highway. I'm gonna go over here where it's like there's there's you know sunlight and water and nice loamy dark dirt and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and once I sort of figured out that it was okay to say this is not 
a winnable situation and this is a poor use of my time and energy on the planet, um, I was able to sort of, I think, get past some of the things that previously had mired me down. Well, what are some of those hallmarks? I mean, you've got a bunch of people here, they're trying to make their way in their career, you know, either in grad school or, you know, early career. What, what should they look out for? What should they... Um, one of them is a toxic boss, and I want to caveat this with a huge asterisk because um, Morgan McCall, who some of you may remember, like a, the guy who basically invented high potential development, I will have to send him this podcast to be flattered I mentioned him, um, <laughs> he reflects on the fact that the research shows that the, one of the best development experiences you can have is working for a horrible boss. So like, you don't want to quit like yeah. immediately, yes. but you also don't want to just stay there forever with somebody who hates your guts. Um, and Absolutely. like needs to see you fail to prop up their own ego. Like that's not a healthy time. Like learn a little from them and then get the heck out of Dodge. Um, and there's a sweet spot in finding that, right? Uh, and sometimes you can't control it. The time it happened to me, both times it happened to me, um, I got reorganized under this person. And I was like, I can turn this around. I'm likable. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. It's not successful. Um, so it's like you give it a the college try. It's like I'm using a good faith effort. And then they like, one of them really was insistent that I do something that was illegal. At first I'm like, oh, but you just aren't aware of the uniform guidelines. Let me educate you. And then I'd embarrass this person. And then it was like, but I'm like, it's like, you're going to do it anyway. And I'm like, but I'm not going to go to jail. And anyway, it got really ugly. Um, so I left that job because <laughs> I'm like, ah, this is not worth my, I'm not, I'm not going to be deposed over this. Sorry. Right. Peace out, yo. Um, so some of it is like finding that sweet spot, but it's like, there's, I'm not a quitter, but also, um, there's a, you know, the motivational posters that were really popular, like in the eighties or nineties. Hang in there. There's a great set of demotivational posters, and one of them says something along the lines of like, winners never quit, and quitters never win, but those who never quit and never win are just idiots. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, find the balance, and then also don't waste your time on the planet. This is what Duckworth doesn't tell you, right? Right. You know, there's like, uh, the other one Thank of those you. that I'll Thank just you. give you. The you got other. one left. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Joy. There's grit, and then there's just, like, self-flagellation. Yeah. So there you go. Awesome. Um, And then maybe the PSYOP thing. Um, I'll I'll tell you that I, maybe mid-career, was definitely into my 30s, um, and was getting divorced, and I was kind of, like, needed an emotional life raft. And PSYOP was my emotional life raft. And it's like, oh, I can, like... Work was really hard, and family was really hard, and like things were just hard. And I got myself sort of put on a sign-up committee. It's like, oh, but I like all of these people, and we can do a thing. And at the end, that thing is really good. And also, there's not going to be a performance evaluation that points out all the ways I could have done it better. So it was like <laughs> nothing but upside. Um, and then like that led to the next one, and that led to the next one, and then like you get invited to be in a panel, and then you you meet different people because of the panel, and then that then you organize one, and it sort of like becomes um, a flywheel of goodness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then um, all the way up until this moment. All the way up until this moment. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, like, I had um, a few years ago, I had a moment where I was a little bit bored at work, and uh, it turns out that when people ask you to write a book, it's super honoring. You're just like, oh my god, I can't believe, like, me, really? (laughs) You get very excited, and then, like, you're high for about 15 minutes, and you say yes, and you sign the contract, and then you realize, shit, this is like 10,000 hours of unpaid work, what have I done? 
Um, but then you've agreed, and because you're not a quitter, you just like do it, and you give up every night and weekend for years, and, and meanwhile your family's like, Mama, we miss you. Um, but then it's done, and you're like, woohoo, I can put book covers on my, on my LinkedIn profile, and your parents are really proud, and you get to dedicate a book to the people you love, and you're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. And then you've got that like on your resume forever, so there you now, go. Is that employee sensing and surveys, or investing in people, or something Employee else? sensing and surveys was harder. Yeah. Um, investing in people, because Wayne Cassio and John Boudreau are both amazing, yeah. wonderful, kind, competent people. And it was an existing book we were updating. Like I wrote a few brand new chapters and then updated a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. That was not as hard. Okay. But employee sensing and surveys ended up being like twice as long as we intended. And that was a lot. I think people have the same orientation to like PSYOP submissions. Like, hey, <laughs> like you feel really good in September when you submit, it's like, oh shit. We actually <laughs> have, have to do this. this. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> See, this is why they put us as the last session on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you have the same experience? I was in a session that was kind of dragging a little bit um, earlier today, and I laid out, oh, here are the like, five sessions I want to do next year. We need one that looks like this, yeah. and here's the outline, and here are the people I think I want to ask. And, Ooh, we need to do like the counterpoint of that, and it'll look like this. And like I already caught somebody in the escalator. It's like, hey, I have this idea. Um, so do you, like, do you obsessively plan next year's things during the conference? I, I have general ideas. And okay. uh, here, I'll, I'll hit you with one right now. Okay. So uh, talking to various people at bars and stuff, you know, as you do. As one does. As, as, as one, one does. does. As one does. Like you run into situations where like, oh my God, Cole, you know Alexis. Yeah. We all, we, how do you know each other? Like, we, and I want to run like a network analysis across. I really do. I, I actually want someone to a run a network just analysis. Was formed next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, um, of the SIOP community. Of the SIOP community in all the ways. That, I mean, you'd have to go through like the last maybe 20 years of programs to see all the people who'd done sessions with each other. Oh, you're, and okay. there's a, like, that probably exists somewhere. Or maybe someone, maybe there's an academic who has them all in your office. If that's true, that'd be great. The digital ones would be better. I don't know how well we've saved them. So you're talking about like a passive survey. Yeah, baby. I like that. This is what we need generative AI for, is to be able to Thank query you. all that in. Yes. Yes. Maybe generative AI attached to a fax machine from when we dropped the old table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody can do that. I'd be really impressed. But, well, I mean, uh, I uh, have volunteered on committees. I someday aspire to uh, hand out badges at registration. But you, you can do that. It, That's well, a thing I mean, you can it's do. aspirational. But, like, you, you can chose to be that. a fellow. Yeah. So, um, do you choose to be a fellow? So yes, there's a whole process. A couple of years ago, right pre-pandemic, we ran a sign-up session on like how to be a fellow, oh, okay. particularly how to be a fellow as a practitioner. Um, got Nancy Tippins, who's freaking amazing oh, on it, awesome. and Derek Avery, who's also mm -hmm. amazing on it. It's like really, really good folks. Um, and I was just on the fellows committee, mm -hmm. so it evaluated mm -hmm. those packets. Um, you have to do a self-nomination, you have to turn in your CV, and then a person who's already a fellow has to write a nice letter about you and okay. the things you've done, and then you have to get a few other letters that say you've had a big impact. And the deal is, for practitioners in particular, the barrier is usually you can't just be good at your job. It can't just be like, I did this thing and I'm super awesome and my clients like me, right? It has to have some kind of meaningful impact on the community, and there are a variety of you're ways in which you can do that, that. Yeah. right? So there's like a you can do it through science. Like I developed this theory that changed the way we think about something. 
uh, it, in practice, it can be like, wow, again, maybe I developed this theory, or I developed an instrument, or I developed a consulting approach, or whatever, and then I, uh, it's a little bit easier for external consultants, because then they can do it for like maybe millions of people. But for internal consultants, we've actually had quite a few come through. I was an internal consultant as well. Um, the, the stuff I got it for was actually all the competency stuff that I did, and I um, and also I was the chair of the IT survey group for a while, which had like a million employees that we got to do with engagement stuff. So it's like, hey, you've really done a bunch of good stuff around competencies that then did get published and other people use it, and you've done all this stuff with engagement, and that got spread across all these other companies and like touched a million employees. You don't have to do it to that degree, but you have to have something that people who've never met you would be like, oh, I know that guy. Mm, yeah. And they helped elevate our field, our profession. They also have them for service and for teaching and for even administration. So there are a lot of ways you can do it. The main criterion is, did you elevate the field? Is PSYOP better? PSYOP, not just your company, but is PSYOP better because you're here? Yeah, you have to have the giving back orientation, it sounds like. Well, you could actually be an arrogant jerk, I think, but you have to. I mean, I <laughs> oh, there's hope. That. Thank you. I, I thought the low recommendation was going to be the tough part. Yeah. I was, was fixated on that. But you have to have contributed to the science, to the practice. You have to have contributed to the community and made the community better in a way that it's demonstrable, in a way that's identifiable. I mean, this comes to like the sciences practitioner model here. Totally. Yeah. And like, I think we're getting better. You, you touched on this earlier. Mm -hmm. that, uh, I think we are. Well, can, can I kind of jump into that vein from the, the scientist practitioner point? I don't think this is going to be a controversial question, but do you think that PSYOP can or should become the premier mm. people analytics conference? Yeah. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think we already are. Because I've been to a bunch of the other people analytics conferences, not mm -hmm. all and not every year, but I've been to them. And like, we wipe the floor with <laughs> 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 It's so good. I'm super am. I mean, love a good people in the world, love the Wharton People in the Conference, but like the richness and the diversity and the incredible volume of content that's here. It's 5,000 people yeah. who are all the same kind of nerd that you are. That's true. Like, it's amazing. And so the, um, when we did the People Analytics Conference in, I think it was 2016, mm -hmm. um, for the LEC. Yeah, that's where I met you. That's right. Yeah. I was thrilled with that because we, um, we used all of the science of what we as a field know about writing, about building good learning experiences. So the way the curriculum flowed, I thought was really good. And the way we blended a little bit of academics mm -hmm. with real practice examples and the way we made sure to sample um, like classic industrials with high tech, yeah. with government, the way we threw some lawyers at you to make sure the ethics were good, we threw all kinds of other things in there in a way that were really, really curated. I think, frankly, PSYOP needs to do a little bit more of that, so stay tuned. Um, yeah, I but, heard from a little birdie that uh -huh. that might be coming back. Is that is there any truth to that? Um, well, the EB meets tomorrow. Okay. Um, I don't think making a decision there is on the agenda, but like, okay. so... Uh, may get in trouble for this, but um, pre-pandemic when I was portfolio conference <laughs> officer, I know you're such an instigator, um, <laughs> we had, the PSYOP board had actually approved an annual people analytics conference as part of the PSYOP portfolio. Can we get a round of applause for that, please? <laughs> we need to show them that that is valued and wanted, so yes. thank you. And we had, we had a venue picked out, we had contracts signed, and then the pandemic happened. And so it sort of went off. And then PSYOP had, you know, financial anxiety. But one of the things I would really like to bring back is have that practitioner-focused people analytics conference, um, as well as mm -hmm. really do a 
better job with pulling that into our main um, uh, conference in the spring. That's what I was trying to tee you up for. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm yeah. super excited. I'm uh, so glad to hear that. I really, really want to make it happen. And we got there once before. We just got wrecked by the pandemic. So I think we can get there again. Cole was so stoked for this conference. You rented a suite at the Marriott. Like, it full, <laughs> went all out. No, that's what happens when you get in at 1 a.m. It's the last room. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so do you feel like, just to stay on the vein of being controversial, um, do you oh, feel like, do you feel like there's any walls that need to be torn down between people analytics and PSYOP? So I, I wouldn't characterize it as a wall because I mm -hmm. don't know the extent to which it was intentionally constructed and guarded. Mm -hmm. I do think that we as a community of biopsychologists can sometimes be a little bit insular and those of us who work in organizations know that the vast majority of people doing this work are not IOs. Yep. And when you're coming up through school or when you're in a consulting group or when you're an academic, you sort of lose sight of the fact that most of the people carrying water on this stuff are folks that we would think of as sort of gifted amateurs about IO psychology specifically. They're very capable in the thing that they do, right? They're very capable as data scientists, they're very capable as engineers, they're very capable as IT professionals. They're great learning development professionals, they've been great OD people, they are killer spreadsheet jockeys, mm -hmm. they're like fantastic at, at things, and things that are valuable, um, but the, the sort of IO psychology piece of having the deep content expertise with a scientific orientation, the sort of methodologies, the standards, the language we use to describe things, like an IO psychologist will use validation in a different way than a data scientist will use the word validation, and it's one of those things where NLP gets you in trouble, right? Because we both use the word validation and the meaning attached to it is right. different, yeah. right? So like those things we have to resolve. I don't think, like there was not a grand conspiracy to be like, stay you guys in data science, use validation for a different word. Like use that to mean, it wasn't intentionally constructed and box terms. them out, yeah. right? Um, I do think that we are at risk. Uh -oh. We are at risk if we don't recognize the impact and the opportunity that's ahead of us to be more inclusive with all of our co-travelers who are coming from different places. Yes. And there is a tension because for a lot of people, we're at the PSYOP conference, for a lot of people, PSYOP is special. And there were barriers to entry to getting in here. And there, like we have shared experience in graduate school and there's sort of a, um, a, a almost tribal thing mm -hmm. to it, right? And there are people who legitimately don't want to lose that. And so part of our challenge is to figure out, and I'm like looking, staring directly at Amit, Amit Mohendra right now, who's a non-IO, but is certainly an honorary person of the Another like, previous leader. podcast guest. That's right, a leader in people <laughs> analytics. Um, how do we make sure that PSYOP is the intellectual home for those people doing this work independent of the channel? And here comes Richard Rose now, speaking of Another like non-IOs who are like totally killing it. Um, how can we be the intellectual home for talking about ethics and talking about high quality methods and all of these things without sacrificing the sort of intimacy that we get as a, as a community who share things, right? So how do we figure out 
a way to um, support and include without making it anonymous, right? How do we not become AOM, which is yeah. overwhelming to me. I went one time and I was just like, like oh, felt like tiny and small and I had to go home and it was very overwhelming. How do we not do that, but also make sure that we are bringing in those people who are really doing the work yeah. and it's work that we care about. We're all here trying to use science to make work and workplaces better. You're right. We need more happy hours. I agree. <laughs> well, we actually have a new segment that we wanted to unveil just for you oh, dear God. here at PSYOP. <laughs> so would you like to join this Let's new segment? It. It's got a really clever name, Scott. This is the Confusion Matrix. <gasps> and... Oh, boy. Talk oh, about it's a, got a reaction. A double entendre. Oh, yeah, baby. It's got a reaction. So your task is to pick a number. We have a variety of different topics. Okay, I'm just like seven. Oh, oh, okay. All right. You're you're already going. Oh, okay. you told me to pick a number. <laughs> Scott's not ready. <laughs> oh, okay. This is this is wild. Okay. Oh boy, is this like the like thing where it's a mu a song in a different musical style, except it's topical? This we is, can do that if you no, want. No, please. If, if you want. <laughs> please don't. But but the topic that you chose was the most ridiculous thing you've ever done for love. Oh, God. <laughs> you chose it. Could I draw again? Um, the most ridiculous thing I ever did for love was move 3,000 miles away. To where? From the from where? East to Coast where? to the West Coast. From Norfolk, Virginia to Woodenville, Washington. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Abandoned, like, my well, What was the story behind this? Yeah, you got to give us a little bit. Um, my husband was from the Pacific Northwest, and... The, he was like, we have to get home. And I was like, but that's not where I'm from. He's like, yeah, but we have to. He's like, okay, I'll find a job. And so it was, turned out, has turned out well. Yeah. At the time, I was thinking maybe really questioning my judgment, but it has turned out well. The West Coast has been good to me. Everything has led you to this moment. That Everything you know. has led me to this moment. Yeah. There you go, as it is. West yeah. Coast is the best coast. Well, it, honestly, I live in Oregon now. Oh. And like, <laughs> like, like commercial for the Oregon Tourism Board, it's beautiful state. It's just gorgeous. I live like 90 minutes from the ski hill, 90 minutes from the ocean. Yes. It's nice. I, I, I will say the time change to Boston has been super rough. Yeah, that kind of sucked. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the confirmation. That's really helpful. That, that was a fantastic answer. Okay. But I think it's time for the nerdery. All right. Can you join us in the nerdery? Let's do it. It's my happy place. <laughs> so we were really excited to talk, I don't know if excited is the right word. I, I am very curious about this new, uh, it's, I think it's still open for commentary right now in the IOP journal from Paul Sackett talking uh -huh. about his 2022 article. It's called Revisiting the Design of Selection Systems in Light of New Findings Regarding the Validity of Widely Used Predictors. And I've got it uh, for folks on video or who are in the room, I've got the abstract on the screen are you familiar with this, first of all, just before we I get into it? I am, and I'm crushed that I didn't get to go see Sackett's presentation yesterday morning. I had something else I had to be at. Did you guys go to that? We did not. We're <gasps> trying to get him on the pod right now. You should. To talk about it in particular. So, but we're not going to stomp on that too much. Okay. Can I just kind of set the... <laughs> this is going to be like really wild that I'm saying this. Doesn't science sometimes move forward one funeral at a time? So, yes. Everybody yeah. knows. I mean, that's a thing. Um, but I'm so thrilled by this because... Yes. Like, we're smarter now. Um, I'm actually kind of tickled that the, um, the corrections, it's like, oh, if you give up the corrections, you actually get these much better estimates. But also because I 
always try to under-promise and over-deliver. I don't really like using corrections because then I feel like I'm a fear yeah. of like over-promising. Plus, we know that anything we do in a sterile environment, you're going to lose like half of your effect size by the time it gets out into the wild. So anything I can do to like under-call something and still seem like good, this totally validates that as would have been the right strategy in the first place. Well, can I pull back your excitement just for a second? Oh, man. For the folks who aren't familiar with what these corrections are that you're yeah. talking about, what, what are these corrections? And, and just to kind of set the scene, this is in relation to correcting some of the, um, the effect sizes from the original Schmidt and Hunter meta-analysis that is one of the seminal articles of our field. And then what are the implications of those corrections? Absolutely. I feel like I'm in quals. In no time. <laughs> well, it's, it's, sweating it's, bullets. essentially it's like making uh, predictive corrections to concurrent data, which is, so, they argue is inappropriate. Right, so the deal is there are a couple of different ways you can do selection research, right? You can do it predictively, where you gather stuff at time one, and, you, and then you gather stuff at time two, or you can do it concurrently. And you'll have different types of data available, whether you've got candidate data or only employee data. And uh, the original Schmidt-Hunter work did not, um, it didn't account for those, dif for those different methods. Yeah. Uh, and instead applied a correction that would have been appropriate, mm -hmm. uh, and they applied that correction too broadly because they weren't indexing, uh, and as a result, they overestimated the impact of some of the features, most notably, G, or generalized intelligence, is not quite as awesome as we thought it was. Like, this is not to dog on G, yeah. but it is um, actually really gratifying as a person who's spent a lot of my life like defending and building structured interviews. It was really gratifying to see structured interviews like coming out as pretty, pretty awesome. Well, and one of the points, and again, I want to step on this too much because I want to talk to it in more detail with Paul Sackett, but contributing to the diversity validity trade-off. Yeah. And how many times have we cycled around this problem over the yeah. last 30 years? And maybe those cycles weren't, I mean, it's not like they weren't valid. It wasn't time well spent. But maybe we can get out of that debate because some of what, the what things. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So, you know, some predictive measures are shown to have disparate impact yes. more often than others. Mm -hmm. Structured interviews isn't one of those things, generally speaking, and therefore, we don't have to do so much hand-wringing now that we've done in the past. But if, again, maybe there'll be a correction 30 years from now, <laughs> based on Paul Sackett's work, who knows? But in that 30 years, we can at least you know, sleep a little easier at night. I like to get around that, like you see like, it's like Pareto optimal uh, sort of solutions where it's, it essentially works out like 5% cognitive ability, like 95% personality. And I think one of the most interesting things that he writes in this article is that there have been, have not been able to recreate these results in practical applications. So it's very intuitive at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about the next topic? Uh, sure. Let's do sure. it. Pull it up. All right. We got... And one of the things that we do on this podcast is we steal from Ethan Mollick at, All the time. at Warren. <laughs> Every episode we steal from him. So if he wants, if he's listening out there, come join us on the podcast. We'd love to have you. We talk about you off all the time. Just but, a, a final note on that uh, on the second article. It was okay. like absolutely wrecked my world because that was one of my favorite citations. The Smith Hunter. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember we had an episode on here um, earlier with some academic we had on and asked us what our like article that we the remember canon? the most from graduate yeah. school. I think we both cited that article. <clears throat> what, do, you have, do you have a favorite citation? Um, actually, Schmidt and Hunter is one of the ones I've gone to a lot. Yes. Uh, like Guzzo and Shea. Like, there's a bunch that I go to pretty frequently. Barrick and Mount. Yep. yep. Barrick and Mount. Yep. yep. 
Well, then, Scott, do you want to tee up? Yeah, We're talking absolutely. about Google Scholar. So, Google Scholar. So, this is a really interesting study. So, they investigated six different sources of citations. So, Google Scholar, Microsoft Academics, Scopus, Dimensions, uh, Web of Science, and Open Citations, which I never use anything but Google Scholar. Absolutely. <laughs> I've never actually heard of some of these. But they identified three million citations. They searched for them in these different platforms. And Google Scholar identified 88% of them. I don't think they had like a PDF for all of them, but at least had them in there. Uh, the next one available was uh, Microsoft Analytics, uh, second place, about 60% of citations. But the overall, um, I guess, takeaway is like, it's really scary <laughs> that we rely on a free tool, Google Scholar, for a lot of our searching history. See, my mind, just because I've been using GPT-4 so much recently, oh. I paid the $20, yes, I'm the guy, and <laughs> I just, I feel like, I haven't even thought about Google Scholar since I've started doing that. Does that make sense? Because when I go out, like... It's just a paradigm changer? Like, just well, change if you, the way if, you look for articles? If you use, like, and these aren't, like, complicated prompts. They're going to teach you, like, prompt yeah. engineering and all this stuff. It's just ask it a question about our research and just say, include citations. And it's mm -hmm. really fucking good. Like, it's so good. I, I find the... I argue with it. I like arguing. It's fun. What just do you debating mean? debating with Like, so, that, like, say, give me the top ten reasons, or top ten things that you could use to help you improve your selection system. Okay. And you say... I disagree with number four. Can you find research to the opposite effect of what number four is saying of these top ten reasons? And it'll show, it'll bring articles back. Like here's five more articles that actually have the opposite finding of what you found. I'm like, this is freaking amazing. I, I well, we could go into chat GPT tangent if you want. But I know it's been going on all conferences, yeah. but the people that are listening to the podcast haven't heard all of that. So. Yeah. Well, I find that ChatGPT three like hallucinates. They they'll bring up citations yeah. that don't exist. They don't exist. <laughs> and that so you gotta be like really careful there. Uh, I I wonder like, is there like a selection bias in the Google Scholar library? Like the PDFs available. Joy and I've talked about this in the past. Like you look for that one PDF that you can actually download. Like is that a selective sample, and that just becomes like the citations that everyone uses? I don't know. I'm not sure if that's true. I do know that because I was on the fellows committee, so I spent a bunch of time like mm -hmm. looking up how many citations did you actually have, what was your age index, et cetera. And I found really different citation counts and age indices depending on which I was using. And Google Scholar, I don't know if it was the most accurate because maybe it was hallucinating or like having a bot mm -hmm. that was like extra yeah. citing or whatever else, but they were really different answers. And so Google Scholar at least gave me the highest counts I think every time I tried to look this stuff up when I'm trying to validate, like, are you okay. really influential? Yeah. Um, but I did not try. I was doing this in November, so ChatGPT wasn't out yet. Tell me this. As a practitioner, how much stock do you put into things like age indices? I don't. Okay. Um, because mm -hmm. the architecture of them um, is not actually tied to practical implication necessarily. Mm -hmm. If there's a few people who cite each other constantly and they produce a lot of things. Cite yes. Exactly. Yes. So you can, like, it, like anything else, you can manipulate it. Yeah. Um, so I don't put as much, um, as much credit on those, although it is sort of a, a vague index of do other people seem to think you're important? That's like one of many criteria you look at. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about on this one, Tessa? Well, I mean, we could talk about ChatGBT and like the, 
how it's going to influence the way we write. Like, what does it mean for grad schools? Like, yeah, Alexis, all this you're, sort of stuff. you're a soothsayer. Tell us, what, what does the future hold? <laughs> is it, is it scary or is it promising? You know, I think it's both. Okay. Um, I have so far loved playing with these tools, including the Microsoft Bing one for yeah, Bing yeah, Search. Yeah. Um, I've loved playing with them as first drafts. I have been a little anxious about the hallucination. Yes. Um, a bunch of my academic friends a week or two ago got really excited by like, oh, write my obituaries or write bios <laughs> for me. And like Lisa Finkelstein was like, yeah, they, they yeah. invented awards I never got. <laughs> It was like, it's kind of nice, thank you. Yeah. Extra awards. Yes. Make me look more important. Nice. Right, um, be a fellow. Right. And I'm, I'm anxious about the hallucinations. Um, and I think that we'll get better at those things. Yeah. Uh, and we'll have, we will figure out ways to do it. I'm also, um, I'm so torn because almost any tool can be used for evil or good. Yeah. Right? Somebody asked me last night, like, what did I think about the, um, like, the AI ability to synthesize someone's voice? Mm -hmm. Right, and yes. there's some like really scary scams going on where it sounds like it's your loved one's voice calling you, and that's terrifying, and that is scary. On the other hand, the New York Times this morning had a thing about um, how that exact same technology is being used to basically make a voice bank for people with ALS or throat cancer or something else, yeah. so that um, they don't have like somebody else's voice speaking for them when they use technology uh, after they've medically lost the ability to speak, right? So one of those is very good, one of those is very bad. They're exactly the same technology. And so I'm, I'm worried about that. Um, I am worried, I have kids in college right now, um, I'm worried Their that- Their papers just got a lot better. <laughs> well, honestly, I'm worried about that though, because the reason I'm excited to have my kids in college is because I want them to learn how to think. Mm -hmm. And college isn't really about facts, it's about learning how to think. And I'm worried that, the, that they'll get lazy and not, not have yes. to go through this stuff. And there's, there is genuine value in wrestling with ideas. And yeah, putting in the time, reading the full article, get the context. And figuring out what you think about something. Yes. Figuring out how things connect. Um, because even if it turns out that all we're doing is, you know, um, childcare, healthcare, and elder care, like that's the only work left for humans or something, there's still, um, there's meaning making and, yeah. and human connection. And if the things that humans are fundamentally wired to do is really connect, then there's thoughtfulness that has to go into that so that we can do that effectively. I think that's a really scary thing for IO. Like if, you know, we have all this different technology and like, unfortunately, a bunch of jobs go away, what do people do how they derive meaning from life so there's I'm a, no work i'm a super big history nerd okay i know that shocks you um but if not you, at all i know if you think about you like a bunch of recommendations for presidential biographies i did they're good though. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if you look backwards in time to the various previous revolutions, like, oh, what about the printing press? All the monks will be out of work. Um, what about the steam engine? What about sort of all of these other revolutions? What we've essentially done is gotten rid of work that was dangerous mm -hmm. or gotten rid of work that was boring. Jeez, and and yeah. like when the monks were hand transcribing, you know, Bibles, there weren't any marketing analysts mm -hmm. and there were no semiconductor engineers, <laughs> right? That wasn't a thing. And so as we find space, there's sort of a thing about like water finds its level. Yeah. And as we are freed up from having to go back and look things up in order to write a list yeah. and there's really very little intellectual value of, you know, making a list out of the things, um, what will we, what new thing will we find to fill that time? And for decades, 
or decades ago, there was sort of this idea of like we'd be at like a 15-hour work week and we'd have all this leisure and whatever else, and somehow we haven't managed to make that happen. And if um, history is any guide, we're not suddenly going to get real enlightened and also all only be working 15 hours a week. So I think that we will be surprised by the new things that are possible when we are sort of air quotes freed from drudgery. Yeah. Well, did, can I go back to kind of the original point you're making? Because uh, you're talking about essentially you're worried about your, your college-age um, um, kid, child kids. and how you build critical thinking. Mm -hmm. So how do you build critical thinking in the age of AI? So one of the kids uh, is, his critical thinking is, all, he um, took his high school graduation money and bought a non-functioning Miata, and he spent the last several years like tearing it down, or there swapping out the transmission, you know, putting things back together, and he's developed all of his critical thinking skills with basically a very expensive Lego project. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, not that expensive, if you think about Legos, it probably was saving me money that he was doing it on the Miata and not on actual Lego sets, because those things can be outrageous. Um, and then the other one is really involved in theater. And so, like, that's a lot of very practical problem solving yeah. and um, human human um, tasks, human tasks, and human conflict resolution. And like in February, he and a bunch of other kids had like written a play and and how do you negotiate who's doing what and who's what's taking what role and what sets are we going to create? And so it was very much creative tasks. And so for both of them, were different types of creative tasks, but they were embodied physical human creative tasks that um, taught them skills, but also gave them like gratification. So I think that there's lots of that. I tend to be nerdy, and so like I read, mm -hmm. but I also bake and garden and you know dig in the dirt and, and these kinds of things. And, and there's also like problem solving in that, or pursuing athletic sports or athletic pursuits or whatever else. So I think there's lots and lots of places to learn sophistication, to learn tenacity, to learn problem solving, to learn humility, like a lot of these things. You have to like supplement at that point, though, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, like they should. Chad GPT be taught in grad programs because it's it's a tool. It's like the printing press or anything else. Totally. Along. So when I was in, I was in graduate school at the time when um, like statistics programs were really coming into their own, right? You can't so, use a calculator. Mm. You're doing a bunch of long divisional. Yes. They, we did. Yeah. Exactly. We had to like write things out longhand to six significant digits, and it was torture. Yeah. Um, but we also like had a computer lab where you could do the work. Which is why he made us write every single iteration. If you're like rotating your factor analyses by hand, that's a oh, special Jesus. form of punishment. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Um, and like, I don't really need that orthogonal rotation no. anymore. But what was interesting <laughs> is because I had to do the matrix algebra. Like I have an intuitive sense of like what happens if you're when you're messing with these error terms, or what does it really mean to have these be orthogonal, or what does this do? And I I don't do it now, but I'm glad I had the experience of doing it a few times because I've processed yeah. like. Like, um, my partner really likes to watch math and science YouTube, and so we like to watch video animations of interesting math. <laughs> you right? are a nerd. I know, right? This it's is terrible. how you become a science filler. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really terrific, if you go down the rabbit hole of math and science YouTube, like Fantasium and Three Brown, One Blue, and some of these guys are just freaking great. Um, but uh, because I have like manually done that matrix algebra, like I know what's happening inside of it in a way that I think makes me a little bit less vulnerable to, I typed a command, R did a thing, it must be right. Yeah. And I worry about that more. The people are just sort of using it like a, like a two-year-old with a chainsaw. <laughs> I think we have like one more topic here. I think Nicole's pulling up right now. There's no real like preamble to it. It's just essentially, 
or we're all familiar with a better poster, right? Yes. Right. So essentially, I'm trying to put it up real quick. Sorry. Straight to the point poster. There you go. Um, I saw a few. I did. I, I saw, saw some few. better ones. Yeah. It's very encouraging. Yeah. I went. The poster sessions I walked through were still like ninety percent wall of words. Um, yes. But, but I saw us doing a little bit more of this that's a little bit more inviting. I will say that as a scientist and hyper nerd, I do like having that left rail of here's the stuff. Yeah. Like I'm, I really do know what I'm talking about. Like invite me into the, at the nerd level, like back up what I'm saying. But I do really like this sort of more inviting, uh, inviting platform. Elizabeth McCune, who recently left Microsoft, had done fantastic work internally with infographics as mm -hmm. a way to convey yeah. information in a way that's like grabby. And I am a huge fan of data viz. I will often tell people that my, my standard is somebody walking in the hallway and like glancing in the window should understand your data just through like glancing as they walk by. They just should see chart. what's happening. Yeah. Right. See that pie Please chart. don't do a pie chart. Come on. 3D pie chart. You're a heretic. 3D pie chart. Even better. Dear Lord. Um, but like if we're doing it really well, it should be obvious what's happening in there. And I think a, a, a good poster will have some of those same principles. Wall of Words seems like a good NLP algorithm or a band name. <laughs> like Bag of Words yeah, or Wall of Words? Yeah, Wall of yeah. Words. Well, some of the NLP algorithms are fantastic. It's like Squishy Animal or yes. Dracula, <laughs> this sort of thing. It, it has definitely applications to uh, what people are going to talk about. Like, get your ideas out there very quickly yeah. and not obfuscate it in any sort of way. Well, and some of the things are really great presentation principles, right? Like, don't describe like the effects of XYZ. Tell you what the effect was. Yes. Right? Yes. Use if any of you took like a journalism class in high school, like use good principles of journalism. You need to tell me what the article means in the first half a dozen words. And then the first paragraph needs to contain most of what you need to know. And then if you're really interested, there's more stuff. But there's sort of this like hierarchy of information and most people only need the first one or two layers and we should get better about science communication in that way it is so much easier on the presenter as well to just make a simple yeah powerpoint as opposed to trying to fit everything into this thing so from a graphic design standpoint that's true i will say that from an actual like in your day job standpoint that's 100 percent not true because it is so much easier to have the 130 slide deck <laughs> than to be like here are the four things that matter Right, coming to the fourth, it's that Mark Twain thing about, I'm sorry I wrote such a long letter, I would have written a shorter one, but I didn't yeah, have enough time. time. Um, it's 100% true. How many people have like, tried to take a 200 slide deck and then be like, and then have like a really mean boss like me who says, all right, well you get three slides, and they'll be like, can I use three point font? I'm like, no. I think that's one of the things we struggle with. You can't like, write in poppy seeds. We feel the need to show our work. So I often say it takes me about a year to deprogram a graduate student. Mm. Right, because they really feel like, and Laura's over there like, yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> they really feel like they have to completely show their work. And particularly if there are some clients for whom that's absolutely true. However, um, there are methods you can use to show your work without bludgeoning people. So for example, in some of my, uh, some of my universes, there have been times when I've got good discipline about this and times when I don't, but it's like, oh, okay, here are the 10 things that you really need to know, and there is a hyperlink on each one that'll take you to the right three or four pages, and then you can pop right back, and you can do all of your navigating off of one page. And if, all you, if you're one of those people who is high in trust, or you've built a really solid relationship and they go. don't question you anymore, then it'd be like, I have a two-slide presentation. I got one that's got like all the headlines, I've got one that kind of sets the stage and reminds you why we're here and whatever else, and then I've got one that's got all of my findings in a, like one line, no wrapping uh, around, 
uh, and then it's just hyperlinks back to the backup. And you might still have 130 pages, but you have them in, in navigable chunks. If you want to read more. If you want to, what, wherever you want to go, curious executive, like, I got you. You're not going to trip me up. But I'm also not going to make you do, like, 73 slides that are virtually <laughs> identical and try and, like, what, what oh, oh, okay, how is this one different from the one four slides ago? Yeah. Can you go back and you find this? You spend half of your meeting trying to find the slide you're looking for. And it's like, no, 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 go up. No, I think it was back there. And it's like, what a waste of time. Absolutely. Alexis. You have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. Good for my ego. I sh I'd love to. <laughs> I got, I've got one announcement to make before we wrap this thing up for the folks online. Um, Scott and I are taking a much-needed week off of the podcast. So for the common listeners in the room, we're going to take a break for a week, and then we're going to come back. But Get a week off. Get a week yeah. off. Um, but thank you so much. For joining us today before i give you the final word scott any final thoughts for alexis cole always throws me this sort of question i never know what to ask so, uh, it's every week man it is every week <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. we'll get some feedback like uh rate your experience from one to excellent which experience with you guys? Yes, yes. I'd give you like a solid nine and a half. Okay. All right. There you go. We will take it. All right. I was expecting like a six. <laughs> you're well organized. When, when you start time. 20 minutes before people show up into the room, you're like, why are they recording already? <laughs> it's usually not a good experience. Overachieving. Yeah. I like that. So. Thank you so much. It's this been was absolutely just wonderful. wonderful. It was a delight. I know we planned this months and months ago, and I've been a little bit jealous watching everybody else get to spend time with you, so it's fun to finally do it. You were an early adopter. We're very appreciative of that. Thank you so much, Alexis. And you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People and Alex podcast with Colin Scott and Alexis Fink. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you. As always, all opinions are owned and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott.